You are listening to Propelling, a micro drones podcast. Welcome to another episode of Propelling by Micro Drones. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. Joining us on the podcast today is Hanno Truder, sales manager for Africa, to discuss the mistakes that early drone adopters make and how to avoid them. Hanno, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So let's break down the process and understand the biggest mistakes that you've seen companies make. So, of course, you know, you work with a variety of, of companies and industries in your role with micro drones. And drones certainly aren't a uh, one size fits all type of technology. So what should companies do first when considering adopting drone technology? Well, there's basically five key considerations that that we sort of drilled down and, and came to. Um, the first one is the engineering quality. Um, we all know the African um, conditions are quite, environment is quite tough on, on technology and it's probably only not here, but Australian outback, um, probably North North America and the Canada's, um, Europe. So yeah, so um, the average work site um, is host to large temperature fluctuations, um, there's windy conditions, sand clouds, debris, and many other environmental challenges. So um, that's why choosing a quality product with professional engineering standards is just not important. It's, it's absolutely essential. Um, then secondly, data accuracy. Um, we all know that all drones can capture data, but not all data mapping technologies is created equal. Um, look for a for a drone solution that has a track record of successful mapping and that have been designed and integrated for professional applications. Um, a mapping drone package is a serious business tool and it's an extension of your existing toolbox and uh, it should be purposely built uh, for work. Then your airframe design. Um, quadcopters are used by many survey and mapping professionals. The microdrone system uses uh, a four rotor design for maximum stability and the big low RPM motors provide uh, plenty of power while making efficient use of battery power. Absolutely essential if the drone will need to be in the air for a long period of time to complete big uh, survey projects. Um, the cost, uh, obviously that's probably a always comes into the equation. Regardless of your business, uh, there's a well one saying from Benjamin Franklin uh, that we always use that says that the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low prices forgotten. Many drone uh, novices try to get started with um, an ill-suited drone platform or map- mapping package um, that was derived from a recreational hobbyist or presumer platforms. Um, when using a drone for serious work, you need a serious solution, an accurate solution that was purposely built to deliver a specific geospatial result. It really isn't worth trying to take a shortcut um, when doing this. And then flight time, I think this is probably the hottest topic um, these days. And that's probably the where the drone race is going to, is to, to get a, to, to have a battery that's lightweight, but with very long flight times. 
So there's a good argument to be made that this is probably the most important and most overlooked criteria of all. Um, right now, all drones eventually need to land for a recharge. And you want a system that keeps track of where it left off. Um, this makes the flight extremely important because it's a direct reflection of the ability of the device. Um, sites to be surveyed are often big. And uh, UAV mapping, inspection, and aerial photography, we all know, it takes time. Um, flight time can also be affected by temperatures, wind, uh, and payloads, among a host of other issues. Um, so, yeah, so look for a drone that has long flight times, um, and then also the manufacturers that will do a demo for you to actually show you these, um, these specifications. Many manufacturers give best case times that often differ vastly from the actual results in the field. Um, sometimes the flight, well, the flight times that get specified should actually include um, the payload and flying in normal outside flying conditions. Um, and when you put that all together, um, that will give you a good indication of um, how long your drone can actually stay in the air. So, yeah, those are all really great points there. And you say then the most important consideration is that flight time. Um, before we come back to that one, so let me go over uh, the, um, the considerations that you gave. Uh, that number four, cost. I'm sure that's probably... Uh, the first thing that people consider, and then they work backwards from that. Would you agree? Yes, yeah, that definitely. Um, people, especially in my territory, is extremely um, price sensitive. So yeah, so they'll they'll first look at the price um, and then make a decision around that, which is probably it's probably <laughs> the most incorrect way of doing things. Um, yeah, and at the end of the day, a year down the line, a few months down the line, they turn around and say, but you know, this is actually not what I need and it actually does not do what I want. So then they actually start spending double for where they in the beginning could just spend a little bit more, but at least what they've got is what they can use. It gives a good end result and you can use it for a year, two, three, four down the line and it grows with you. What do you say to uh, to somebody that's coming to you and saying, well, you know, we're really just kind of dipping our toe into the into the water. And so, you know, we're OK with just, a, you know, for lack of a better term, a beginner drone. How do you respond to that? Well, first of all, you need to establish what the customer wants to do. Um, you need to try and find out. Well, you have to know what what is the end result required by either him or his, or his customer. And then, yeah, and then you need to weigh up the, the pros and the cons. Um, fair enough, you can, you can have a small little um, hobby shop drone, and, and once you're out there and you want to try and do a, a mine survey, you'll quickly learn um, that it's, it's not, the, not the right product to use. So, yeah, so first of all, you need, to, you need to find out what the customer wants at the end of the day, what's a deliverable required. And then you can start building around that and, um, and then start weighing up the different um, solutions that's out there that we as microdrone can offer. Right, right. Well, so the, uh, the flight time, and uh, that's, that's what you say is the, the most important consideration, um, and especially a system that you know, is able to track where it left off. And um, 
but I think the interesting point is that, you know, specs are often very vastly different than an actual, you know, flight time, an actual demo. Uh, what have you seen in that aspect? You know, what are what are some of the promises that uh, that, you know, other other uh, drone technology makes in terms of, well, it's capable in best conditions, uh, asterisk, uh, to uh, to last this long. But uh, what are the actual results that you see and, and why is uh, micro drones technology um, really superior in that aspect? So many times um, we do quotations to customers and, and then they would ask whether it's your flight time. And then when you tell them that, then they'll say, but okay, your, the competition specifies, say, an hour flight time. And when you actually dig into the specifications, then you would see it actually says there the, the hover time is, say, one hour. So it's standing in one, well, hovering in one place. There's no outside interference from, from um, wind, um, and it's sometimes indoor. And then the other thing is they say that it's without any payload. So that's, that's often, and that's, that's in the fine print, and, and customers need to, need to look at these, this, this fine print. Um, and, you know, from Microdrone's side, everything that gets specified on our website, um, on each and every product is, is flight times, including the payload in normal flying conditions. So what you see there is what you're going to get. Um, obviously, um, when you fly using a heavier payload, say for instance, like a LiDAR sensor, your flight time mm -hmm. is going to be much um, shorter because obviously the motors need to work harder to keep the the, the drone in, in the air. Um, and obviously, if you've got a crosswind or a headwind, um, that's also going to influence your flight time. Um, once again, the drone needs to work harder to stay in the air. So yeah, so my advice to customers, um, fair enough, if you get all these uh, specifications and promises, go and read, spend a bit of time, go into the website, read these specifications carefully, and look at the fine print, because um, yeah, you'll see there's some, some hidden clauses there that, you, <laughs> that you're not gonna expect. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, there are a lot of intricacies to understand, uh, you know, when you're considering product selection. Before you get to that point, what should you have in place before buying a drone? Okay, obviously that is dependent on country to country, wherever you fly or where you're living in. But there's sort of like a, a, some general rules or general um, things that needs to be in place. First of all is what we call your remote pilot's license, your RPL. Um, that you need to obtain from um, drone flight schools. So there's various drone flight schools in, 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 in the countries that that you normally work in or, or live in, or you can go to a neighboring country. Um, and that will allow you to operate and fly your remotely piloted aircraft system. Then secondly, which a lot of people actually is not aware of and they don't get told when they buy drones is, if you wanna fly commercially, so you wanna charge for your services, then you actually need a, a remotely or remote operator certificate, an ROC, um, which will allow you to fly, charge your services, and it always also allows you to fly in restricted airspace. And that's probably the two most important ones to start off with. 
And then also some countries, um, specifically like South Africa, you need from your local civil aviation authority, you need a letter of approval, um, and what we call an RLA, and also a drone safety approval. Um, and then also it needs a, a registration number or a marking on the airframe, like any other aircraft, because drones are seen mm -hmm. as, as normal aircraft. So um, normal fixed-wing aircraft that you get at any airport has got a call sign or a registration number. Um, like, for instance, in South Africa, our drone that I use for demos is um, Zulu Tango X Alpha India, um, and that needs to be displayed on the actual airframe. So, yeah, so those are the things that need to be in place in order for you to fly legally and, um, yeah, to charge your services. Obviously, the regulations vary from country to country, uh, but even within, you know, even within a country that maybe has had uh, drone technology established for a while, it, it can be pretty confusing to understand the the regulations and, and everything that's involved with that, right? Yes, yeah, and that's, that's why I say it's, you know, before you start flying, take the time and take the money and go to a drone pilot school. They don't only teach you there how to fly, they also teach you all the legalities and the rules and regulations um, behind the drone use in that specific area. And then if you go to any of your civil aviation websites, um, there is a division for remotely piloted aircraft. And there you got uh, your different, like in South Africa, we got part 101. And in the States, um, I'm not sure there's also a specific uh, part um, with all the regulations for drone use. And if you read through that, it gives you a very clear picture of what is required. But yeah, like I said, um, if you want to start flying, uh, take the time, take the money. It's probably not that expensive. You, depending once again on country to country, but you're looking at around about 300 US dollars um, to get your, your remotely pilot's license. Um, it takes about a week to two weeks to get that with your practical and uh, theory classes included. Once you've got that, you should have a very good idea of uh, what is required to fly. Exactly. So, you know, having all your ducks in a row and, and then, um, you know, we've, we've gone over uh, some of the biggest mistakes that you've, you've seen early drone adopters make. Uh, as we start to wrap up, um, you, I understand you have a piece of kind of counterintuitive advice. You say, don't start with the end result in mind. Why do you say that? Yes, um, I'm actually going to gonna quote a colleague of mine. And, and he, he said once, the biggest challenge we face with new technology is that people haven't thought carefully enough about the question they want to ask, or they don't know the nature of the answer they want from it. So defining your requirements and defining what you're trying to achieve is an all too often overlooked part of the whole problem. So with our microdone solutions, um, we address the collecting, analyzing and interpreting of the data for all our U of A packages. Um, so long before we even sell the drone to the customer, our, our team has worked very closely with the end user to understand what they're trying to collect and how they're going to apply it. And according to that, you know, you can make a, an informative decision on what solution will be best fit um, for your customer. 
So yes, um, always think um, what you need to achieve. And it just comes back to your previous question about spending the money um, or, you know, the customer comes to you and say, but, you know, your competition is, is, is cheaper or we want to start off with an entry-level drone. Fair enough. But once again, think of what your end result's going to be, what you need to survey. And then, yeah, and, and the, obviously the, you want a drone that you can use for a very long time. You don't want to buy a drone now and two months down the line when you need to do a different type of survey, um, you then, you're stuck with a drone and you can't use it and you not need to buy something else. And that's why microdrones is, is so nice is that we, our payloads are integrated, um, different types of payloads. So you can buy one drone with, a, with an RGB camera fitted to it and two or three months down the line you need to do a different type of survey like a LiDAR survey, where you can then buy the LiDAR payload separately and just by disconnecting two or three sets of cables um, and then detach the, the camera, detach the LiDAR sensor, put the two, three cables back and off you go. It literally takes three to five minutes to change the payload and do something different. And that's a, that's a type of drone and customer that or, or supplier that you that you want is that something that grows with you and your business, um, irrespective of what you want to do. And you can use it for five, six years down the line and um, yeah, use it for different different types of surveys. Well, excellent insight from you, Hanno. Hanno Truder, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, I hope to, to get some customers phoning us for some advice very soon. Yeah, if uh, someone wants to reach out with questions, how do they contact you? Um, they can contact me via email, um, H dot truter at microdrones.com um, or they can visit our website if they've got my email address and there's a form that you can complete and that will end up with me and I'll, I'll get in contact with you or with a customer. Fantastic. Thank you listeners for listening to this episode of Propelling by Microdrones. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a new episode. Until next time, I'm Shelby Skirhawk. Propelling, a Microdrones podcast.